Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The discussion surrounding Russell Wilson, particularly when it comes to national shows about Russ cooking, it's kind of gotten to me over these past few days. And it, it, it really, it's, it's bothered me. And I think the reason for it is because everyone has a different definition. You know, Russ has this great game on Sunday. He he has the big completion percentage. He's he's in the national media. He gets player of the week offensively. And so there's been a lot of talk about what Russell Wilson did in this opening weekend. But I think today's guest joining me on the show can help bring some nuance that a lot of Seahawks fans, I think, have a better understanding of and, and maybe the national shows don't have as much. John Fraley, writer at fieldgoals.com, joins the show. John, I am fired up to talk to you because I suspect you were fired up about the Seahawks win on Sunday. Oh, man. You know what you know what that Seahawks game was? That was that was almost relaxing. Almost. They tried they tried a little in the fourth quarter to mess things up, but unsuccessfully because right. they still stayed a couple scores ahead the whole time. That was that was just a really fun Seahawks game without any of the palpitations, without any of the coronaries, without putting your uh without uh, starting to text your cardiologist. I know there's two moments where I think if I would have been wearing some kind of device it may have it may have gone off but only two moments in a Seahawks game I think is pretty good and and <laughs> one of them was when yeah. David Moore fumbled <laughs> that play was so great he gains 12 yards he fumbles it behind the line of scrimmage against 12 Still yards got 12 yards that that one made me jump a little bit and then mm-hmm. when Travis Homer uh, fielded the kickoff in the fourth quarter right after their score and he got hit pretty good. And so that that had a, a clinching moment to it, too. You know, one thing I read, in fact, I just go on a tangent right away, is without the crowd noise and with the mics being the way that they are, you could hear every hit about, to me, it was a couple times more clear than you usually hear the hits on the broadcast. Yeah. And man, I found myself cringing at times, especially, I mean, especially because Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams just devoured, devoured some poor little Falcons. Yeah. I think we talked about it on the three and three out show with uh, Clinton about how Ito Smith, he he may have lost his soul in that game. And I, (laughs) I feel bad about that, but I also feel a little bit of joy and that's just part of sports. Yeah, it was a, it was really, they were more like a 0.5 or 0.6 cam uh, on the cam chancellor scale. So they weren't like, uh, they weren't like fatal, but uh, I like that there's a cam chancellor scale. That's that's right. A point six is really good on that scale. It's like Richter's scale because every point it's exponentially higher. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the that's more, how that works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a really, really fun game to watch. I mean, they went up. They pro- they uh, protected the lead. They gave up some big plays. They went for on fourth down, and yeah, they basically gave Russ his own uh, national cooking show. They did. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, because I, I think I've made it clear that Russell Wilson is just about one of my favorite guys to talk about when it comes to, to doing these podcasts. And I'm subscribed to the new SB Nation NFL show. I was listening to Wednesday's episode of the Palpably Unfair podcast. Well, they must have said some great stuff about him. They they did. They're, they were, ex- you know, everybody likes Russell Wilson when they're not playing Russell Wilson. So I think <laughs> I feel the same about Kyler Murray. I really, really, really get that. I, there's there's quite a few guys on the Arizona Cardinals now. It's always been Larry Fitzgerald, and now they add Kyler, oh. and then they add then they add DeAndre Hopkins, Hopkins, who's been one of my favorite receivers too. So it's uh, it's it's like what? they're trying to draw me toward that team, and I I don't like that. 
Well, if they were in the AFC, they'd be my AFC. They'd be my AFC team. I'd right. root for them no matter what. But unfortunately, they are misplaced. Let's just send them over. We could bring over some bring bring out the Raiders or the Chargers over here. The Chargers don't want to be there. Maybe we could trade Bill O'Brien. Uh, <laughs> do some kind of a swap there. I, I think that's the coach that I think I would at least deal with and, and try. And make you want the out. Texans? You want the Texans in the West, and we'll send them the Cardinals. Okay. Uh, yeah. I Done. Think, sure. All right. What was it all about? What was that show? What did they say? Yeah. Uh, listening to the Palpably Unfair, I was listening to Kevin, who he's a 49ers fan. And his idea of letting Russ cook was measuring his number of dropbacks. And without really getting into all the data, he thought that 39 dropbacks for Russell Wilson was probably among his career highs. And as Seahawks fans, we know that that's, no. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not even close. I went back and, and looked at it just to see about where the breakdown was. If you average his past four seasons, 39 is probably his average, just right about that for the last four seasons. So it's not an unusual amount of passes. And so it's why I was glad that up at fieldgoals.com, John, you had a breakdown of what it really means for Russell Wilson to, to take and the reins. Before I get into it, I have one question for you, and maybe you can forward it along to the uh, to the Palpably Unfair podcast. Yeah. Who would you rather, if it was your team, who would you rather give 39 dropbacks to, sir? To Russell Wilson or Jimmy Garoppolo? Who? Ooh. Right? <laughs> right? This is not the toughest question in the world. So that's my only remark I have on that. Because <laughs> he's still got some improvements to make, that Jimmy G. All right, but I don't want to talk about him because... No, because no, that's not what this is about. And uh, we want to talk about Russ cooking. Yes, I do have some met not metrics, but I think just some measures by which we can kind of figure out if he's cooking or not. How did you what, come up with these? Well, I actually crowdsourced this a ton. So I've talked to this a lot about uh, talked to this some with the just friends on the side. Of course, like everybody, everybody wants to see Russ throw the ball more. <laughs> nobody says, are oh, you? Uh, I think I think maybe let's run. No, nobody is saying we need to run the ball more. Well, I maybe have one friend who says that, but he doesn't know anything about football. So <laughs> we just, 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 we'll just, Rashad Penny we'll just humor him. Maybe. That's right. So we end up, uh, I end up taking a bunch of suggestions from people online, um, just getting their, um, just getting their ideas of what it means to let Russ cook. I already had a good idea because um, this is something I've been following and uh, talking with Ben, also Ben Baldwin, mm -hmm. and how uh, really the best way to measure it is: are they letting him work on early downs early in the game? Because Pete Carroll's constantly let Russ cook in the fourth quarter when they desperately need him to get back to get the Seahawks back into the game. But that's not really what we mean by let Russ cook. We don't just mean let him throw all the time. We mean give him the ball when it matters early in the game, when you haven't gotten around to uh, deciding the game at all. Mm -hmm. Since he's your best player, let him do the work that will put you ahead in the game rather than falling behind and trying to get back into it with your best player later. Letting him cook is more about making it his team at all times, recognizing that path to victory goes through him first, although there will be other paths as well. Like if the run is working. I mean, imagine that, imagine, you remember those maybe Raiders and Giants games from about four or five years ago when Marshawn Lynch could just assert his will. Yes. And get we we had games in 2014 where where we get 200 yards rushing like regularly, and there was a game with 350 yards rushing. I think that's either the Giants or the Raiders game. I don't remember, but in the absence of that ability to impose your will, like coaches, that's such a coach cliche on the ground. You got to go with 
your best player and give your best player the most chances to put you ahead in the game. And so a neutral game script, which was I'm defining as when the game is not decided mm-hmm. and you're not in third down because third down is special because you tend to be, it tends to be a passing down anyway. What are you doing with the first and the second downs where you really have the choice between running and passing and the game is tight? And that's really the first main measure that I chose. If that was the only measure, we would still be able to tell if Russ is cooking. And man, did they ever let him on Sunday. <laughs> now, well, I do wonder if there's some questions and, and some nuance around it, though, because there does seem to be some argument as to whether or not a short pass to a running back, a screen pass, for example, if that counts as an actual pass or if you break that into the run category. Yeah, you know, I like that you said nuance because so many things are really not black and white. Is a screen pass that leaves Russ's hand after one second, because that happens sometimes. Is that really letting him cook? I, I, need, a, I need a new analogy for this. Is that really giving him, is that really giving, handing him the spatula? Is that, uh, is that putting the oven mitts on? Is that stirring the sauce? Ooh, I like I like stirring the sauce. That's very no, good. Don't use them all up right away. We got to I know. Well, these in. I don't, think, I don't think we'll run out. If you're replacing the run plays with that, with those screen passes that are going to get you six or seven yards that are going to function like run plays, you know, I think that's a great way to get Chris Carson the ball. Because Chris Carson needs the ball too. Yes. Sometimes Chris can cook as well. <laughs> He's a really good running back. He's a top 10 running back. And he's a, and he's one of those guys where if if you're counting on imposing your will, then that's a guy that you you want the football in his hands. And Here's the, one last point. One last one last point. Len. Uh, I know you probably have things to say too, and it is your podcast. But I do want to say a couple of things before I let you have it back about if you're going to let uh, Carson Cook a little bit, you're going to get the ball out of Russ's hands quickly. Is that you have to do that anyway? There's, the pass protection is not good enough for him to sit back there and take 16 hits a game. Those screen passes actually are a function that allows Russ to cook more later. It takes some of the pressure off. You run five screen passes, and all of a sudden, Russ has more time in the pocket. I really think of those as investments. If they're just extensions on the run play, they're extensions of the run play that open up the pass, the longer pass, and that keep Russ upright. Because after all, he can't throw the ball 60 times a game. He will die in week nine. That was part of my concern with this game against the Falcons right off the bat. The very first play where Russell Wilson does the the (laughs) naked boot out to the right and immediately gets crushed by Tack McKinley. And I think the way that we knew that this was going to be different as Seahawks fans is that they didn't go to the run immediately on second down right after that. Didn't you feel great? Didn't that just feel the best when they went pass pass, converted that third down on the first drive? And you're like, okay, yeah. Because last year they would have gone with the second down run often. Last year they ran on second and long 38% of the time. Yeah. And here's the great thing. On Sunday, they did it 0% of the time. Wow. They had 11, they had 11 second and longs, like eight or more. And they ran the ball once, but it was off of a pass play where Russ scrambled. 11 seconds and long, 11 passes. Now, that, of course, is going to be a little bit dependent on who you play. I don't think they'll do that against the Patriots on Sunday, but they did it once. And if they did it once, they could probably do it again. Yeah, especially with the Patriots secondary. I think people are going Uh to get awfully excited about this game against the Falcons and then maybe be disappointed that it it goes back a little bit more toward what we expect from what we've seen in last seasons. But the the script now is out there and we know it's possible. 
And the the way that makes me think that is it's not just that they went for it on second and long after the sack, uh, the first drive of the game. It mm-hmm. was when they had multiple penalties and were back at second and 29 Jeez. and still went pass pass and were able to get in field goal range and put the Seahawks up by, I think it ended up making it a three score game after that field goal. So it made a big difference that they, that we went, they went for it in that situation. You know, that was really good. And they got themselves a really makeable field goal right there because they were backed up almost to midfield and people might have wanted them to go for that fourth and two or fourth and three that they had. But of course you kick the field to go up three scores because it's late in the game. And besides they'd already gone for the fourth down earlier. They didn't need to prove that they were going to go, go for a fourth down. They already finished off the Falcons with the DK Metcalf touchdown. Actually, it wasn't. They only went up 21-12, but it sure felt it like, felt it was like finishing them off. And John, I do want to talk more fourth downs. This Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we're going to hit on the fourth down choices and what that means in terms of letting Russ cook. Coming up next. John Fraley of FieldGoals.com joins the show talking Russell Wilson and the metrics of, of what it really means to let Russ cook or any of the other things that you can come up with. Yeah, a lot of people mentioned fourth down. And I think that's been a big criticism of the Seahawks anyway for the last I did a tiny bit. I actually did research. I know not for not for the podcast, no, for the for the story. Right. But I'm just going to repurpose it right here. Since the story actually uh, since since it posted, I found out that the Seahawks are actually dead last in going for it on fourth down since 2015. And that blew my mind because we think of Pete as being this gambler. But in fact, he's been the most conservative coach on fourth down for almost five years running. Yeah, it, there was definitely a shift in there uh, at, at some point, and I don't know why. Yep. Well, yeah, you don't trust your defense. I don't know. That, that makes, doesn't make sense. I just, there's a lot of factors, I'm sure. So one of the ways that I wanted to measure were they going to let Russ cook is were they going to let him do some of the things that Lamar Jackson is allowed to do in Baltimore, which is go for it on fourth. Because he can get the first downs with his legs, or he can get the first down with precision passing. And this is everything that Lamar Jackson can do, Russell Wilson can do, minus he's not quite as explosive on the ground anymore. And so one of the ways to really measure whether they're letting him be have the maximum impact on the game is to take the ball out of the field goal kicker's or the punter's foot, place it, Right with Russell and say, you know what, you're a sev- you're a you're going to complete seventy percent of your passes, and you're going to be able to scramble for two yards when we need it. You do it, and you're going to be able to throw the sexiest deep ball in the world, also when needed. Remember, they did the that David Moore fourth down uh, in Carolina last year. Yeah, and a lot of people remember that, but that was just a very rare occurrence for the Seahawks. They had twenty nine times that they had fourth and short on the opponent's side of the field. 22 times. 22 times they had fourth and short on the opponent's side of the field last year. Only six times did they let Russ go for it in those situations. And I think if they if they can do a much... He got three of them, by the way. He converted half the time. If they can do a much more Russ-centric way of approaching fourth downs on the other side of the field, and I'm talking fourth and five in opponent territory. I'm not talking going for fourth and one from your own 20, which they should totally still do. But I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about doing that. I'm talking about in their, their side of the field. If they could give him like maybe half of those opportunities instead of about a quarter, I think you're talking about scoring another three or four touchdowns on the season. And that means more wins. 
Did you have a problem with them not going for it in the fourth and two situation? It was pretty close to midfield. Oh, the fourth and two situation. Uh, you mean like earlier in the game? Right. Uh, yeah, they probably should have gone for that because it looked like the Falcons were going to score a lot of points. Because I think there were about four minutes left in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 14 to nine at that point. Yeah, and the Falcons have been moving the ball. They just couldn't get fourth downs of their own, which is a whole different story <laughs> and really determined a lot of that game. But really- uh, no, I was I was moderately upset because I'm thinking you're probably leaving points on the board. But I mean, it turns out they were not afraid to go for it in the second half. So there's not there's not too much to get in retrospect angry for them, angry at them for that. Yeah, that's a. I'm looking I, I just right wondered now. if that's where you were directing some of your anger because you, they got all A's in in some of the other categories on your uh, on your grading sheet there. Uh, what happens sometimes? Fourth and two at the 45. You're right. Four minutes left. That's perfect. Now, another reason that didn't bother me so much was the fact that they had just uh, passed the ball t- uh, twice on second and third, mm. and it just didn't quite work out. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to seen them. You maybe you run for it. When you're at the 45, maybe you run third and two because you figure it's, you have another chance to do it afterwards. I don't know. But I, Michael Dixon had such a great game on Sunday, too. He was on point. The punts were where they needed to be. They were strong. And so that, I think, was probably, if you're feeling like Michael Dixon is on that day, that's probably another decent justification. For that punt, even though down your defense had relatively stopped the Falcons to that point, they ended up getting a three and out right after that. Oh, yeah, look at that. My disappointment was they couldn't really do anything with that two minute offense, they end up doing their own three and out there, uh, rather than scoring at the end of the second quarter, which I feel is what we're used to seeing. I think maybe they may go for more of those fourth and twos, fourth and threes, um, in future weeks. If uh, did you see that the whole league is going for fourth downs, uh, at, at the highest pace ever? That is interesting. There's, um, there's a small there's a small revolution going on in fourth downs. But of course, it's because the Ravens went for fourth down all the time last year, so everyone wants to be like them. It is, and I think we've seen the Chiefs start to go for it a little bit more as well. So there does seem to be a push. And I was going to ask you that, about this because this fourth and five situation where they throw to DK in the end zone, they get the touchdown. It was an amazing play. I don't know if I'm completely convinced that Carroll has turned the page when it comes to fourth down, because that would have been a 53-yard field goal for Jason Myers, right on the edge for him, a little bit too close for Michael Dixon to punt. It may have just been the perfect situation for Pete Carroll to say yes. 38-yard line. The thir- the 38-yard line, that's that's almost like that magical spot on the field. Because mm-hmm. if, if you're on the 42 and it's fourth and five, maybe you're like, oh, well, I can punt this one pretty good. Coffin corner. If you're on the 36, then you're probably going to kick the field goal. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. And re- don't forget that Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll had to be talked out of kicking the field goal in the NFC Championship game in 2013 by Steve Hauschka. Don't forget he was going right. to kick that. He was going to kick that fourth and seven that Jermaine Curse ends up catching for the touchdown. Uh huh. And he ended up. Was, uh, did they take a delay a game in that situation? No, or it was it was nearly it was, one, and he took a timeout. I'm trying to remember yeah, the, the situation. That seems correct. And then during the timeout, uh, Hoshka's like, uh, Coach, I don't think so. I'm really not feeling it. Yeah. And so that's when they went for it. Uh, but the 38 is really the perfect storm. You may be very, you might very well be right on this that Pete Carroll is just like, 
this is the spot. I mean, I'm going to go for it on the 38 because it's the 38. I know a lot of people got excited and I just, I, I want to throw that out there just as a word of caution. That's that while you may think there, there's a change there, it, it may not be. I know. Well, this is the great thing about one, uh, about one game. It's the smallest possible sample size. We can draw any conclusions we want <laughs> or decide that the conclusions don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I think the two biggest ones, though, are the ones that you've pointed out, the the run pass and neutral situations, and then those second and nine or more runs. Because well, I didn't give the numbers. On se- on first in first and second down neutral situations, uh, they went 60, 61%, 67%. They went pass in those. Mm. In the past, they've been right at, last year, they were right at 50%, 51% last year in that situation. They just split right down the middle last year. And on Sunday, they were like, no. It's a rust day. I like it. What's not to like? I mean, he's the the man was number two on the NFL top 100 for a reason. Everybody knows he's a top three quarterback. The players know it. The uh, the coaches know it. He I don't know if he knows it. He probably knows it. Russ is so humble, but you know, I, I you think know, he thinks you of know himself as number one. I I, I you know bet. when you're good. You know, the story came out about, you know, through Mike Florio about, oh, yeah. you know, how he was threatening to leave the team. And I, I don't know if it was quite that serious, but I would not be surprised if there's a kernel of truth to that in terms of Russ having those conversations in this offseason about just saying, hey, this is what I would really like to see us do going into this season. Uh, it's time. I'm ready. Yeah, and I bet he could convince Schottenheimer uh, to be on his, like they could gang up on Pete a little bit and say, and uh, when Russ leaves the room, Pete turns to Shotty and says, all right, what do you think? And Shotty goes, oh yeah, let's do the thing with the quarterback. I think Russ is smart enough to get uh, to get that on his, to get a Shotty on his team so they can outmaneuver and outnumber Pete. Although, you know, Pete still wants to win games with the run, with the run in the defense. Which is why in this game against the Falcons, I'm a little bit surprised that we didn't see them go more run heavy right up the middle when they're up three scores. I know with Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, you know, your two big yeah. power backs and they're running Travis Homer toward the edges. Yeah. You know, I mean, true. maybe they just, maybe they saw something in the Falcons defense. They're like, you know, this is not going to be our day to go up the middle. Yeah. So, but maybe this, again, one game, come on, give me about four games of this. And I'm really going to start to get excited. You mentioned fourth downs and the other game I was trying to think back to, it was originally I was thinking it was the Baltimore game, but it was the New Orleans Saints game where they went for multiple times on fourth down. They had one run to Chris Carson that he didn't Uh convert on fourth and one. They had uh, an incomplete pass to Tyler Lockett on a fourth and five. Yep. Uh, And then he tried to go uh, deep down the field for Malik Turner on a fourth and one. And that's what. It was the 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 fourth and five to throw to DK Metcalf that reminded me of that fourth and one throw to to Malik Turner uh, against the Saints. Yes, except this one converted. Hmm. Well, it's the difference between throwing to Malik Turner and throwing to DK Metcalf, who is uh, um, who is a superstar. Yeah. And uh, the other about, difference he, in those fourth he's about down, eight weeks away eight weeks away from national recognition. The other difference with those fourth downs, of course, is you know, in all those fourth down situations. They were down to the Saints. So in this situation, they were at least they had the lead. I know. I know. Right. Like that's why we talk about it being when we when we measure a lot of these. uh, We measure cookiness for us. Mm -hmm. We're trying to do it in as neutral of a game state as possible. So you kind of get rid of those times when a team is desperate because that's not really measure anything either. So 
we got into we, we talked about this a little bit coming up against the Patriots Sunday night football, mm-hmm. Bill Belichick, uh, uh, definitely a better secondary than the front seven oh. for the Patriots. Yeah, you think? Yeah. <laughs> if we start to see more of what we're used to, are, are you freaking out or are you just saying, OK, this is the one game against Belichick and it, maybe it makes sense in this situation? First of all, we know they're going to pass less and they're going to do some second and long runs and they're going to be cautious in some sort of way that we don't really expect. There's going to be some step back. I would be the only thing that would really shock me would be if they passed more. (laughs) Right. Well, there, you know, there's one area where I think they could pass more on second and third down that maybe we didn't see a ton of against uh the Falcons. And that would be getting Will Disley and Greg Olson involved up against the linebackers of that Patriots team. How good was it to see Will Disley back on the field? Oh, so and make good. Catch? Man, I that was it actually surprised me when he when he caught that. I was thinking I was figuring they would like give him almost no work, uh-huh. maybe not really even target him. They had him out on the hands team on the onside kick. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> but uh you're right. I mean they converted one third down to Greg Olson and then through of course through the touchdown to to Olson. Man. I'm really excited about what they can do with tight ends. I am too. I don't think we quite got to see all of what Brian Schottenheimer has in store for this offense. Uh, we got to see the, the, the effective screen game for, uh, yes, I don't, I can't remember the last time we saw a screen go for a touchdown and it was probably for the Seahawks. Oh, it's been decades. I, and it was probably one of the highlights of Damian Lewis's day, you know, laying out one of the Falcons players right on the goal line. That was fun. <laughs> Man, he, he might be, he might be pretty good, huh? He may be if he can get the penalty stuff squared away, and I, I think yeah, he will. Rookie. He had a yeah, he had rookie, a yes. he had a tough. I mean, going to Grady Jarrett week one. I mean, other than you know Aaron Donald or you know who who well, else could he have gotten uh, drawn up right, against the, in week one? One of the Forty Niners guys. Yeah. The forest. No, wait, Bucker's not there the anymore. Right? Not there anymore. So okay, good. All <laughs> good news already. Man, Forty Niners are beat up right now. Maybe we shouldn't kick them while they're down. Maybe no. Let's totally kick let's, them. Let's totally do it. <laughs> well john really want to thank you for coming on and this well, is going to sure be uh this is going to be a weekly uh feature up at fieldgoals.com right i'm totally writing it every week absolutely i've built in uh i built in ways to uh to check for trends mm. i'll put in some graphs that show uh after a few weeks i'll put in some graphs so we can kind of see some pretty arrows whether the arrows are going up or down i'll continue the grades all of that we'll accumulate the stats we'll have weekly did they let Russ cook and a and a season to date? Are they let him let him cook? What we need to do is address some of these report cards to Brian Schottenheimer just to make sure that he he gets them on a <laughs> weekly basis. I know he visits fieldgoals.com to get all his you know to check up on on how he's doing, but he needs to at least get these because I think Pete should put this one up on the fridge with three A plus you know three A's and a B plus. That that is yeah. a solid start to the season. That really is uh, as if I'm really qualified to grading them, but whatever. I'm going to do it anyway. We're doing it anyway. John, really want to thank you for coming on the show and breaking it down. Looking forward to checking more of that out in the coming weeks. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks once again to John for coming on the show, breaking that down. It's something a lot more to look for when it comes to letting Russ cook that I think a lot of us weren't getting when we hear the national picture and their understanding of it. So I'm glad John came on broke it down in the way that he has built an understanding of the topic just over the off season. 
Head on over to fieldgoals.com Thursday morning. And Tyler Olson has a look at Russell Wilson's Player of the Week honors and just what that means in terms of the race for the most valuable player in the NFL. He takes a look at Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and all the way back to Matt Ryan in terms of where they ranked out at the end of the season with Player of the Week, with Player of the Month, and what else Russell Wilson may need this season to be on a similar stage as those players that came before him in his effort to not just get his first MVP of his career, but to get his first MVP vote of his career. So follow along at fieldgoals.com. Continue to listen to this show. Subscribe sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. And we will be back previewing the matchup between the Seahawks and New England Patriots on Sunday. Stay tuned. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.